Alvin Lee, I got some news for you here. Uh, of course, you're in the grave, probably spinning in it at your accuracy. We use you to open up the show because you were so prophetic back in your day. Mr. Alvin Lee, fellow Englishman, our buddy Paul, and a band called Ten Years After. Always liked that song. Anyway, here we go off on a Friday. That's what introduces us every day. It's the 5th of June. Uh, year 2020, so 6520 is the numerical sequence. Uh, it is our habit to have Brent on. He's not here at the moment. I tried to call him right for and it. I couldn't get him, so I guess he'll call in when he's ready. No telling what could have gone on, especially this week with all these t- technical snafus out of left field. And uh, we've had a lot of connectability. I, I have not uploaded the show from yesterday, by the way, to CastBox yet. I'll probably go ahead and do that today. But anyway, uh, we'll just get on and see when Brent checks in with us. And our buddy Chris checked in with us. So he's sitting right there. Roger Sales, your host, by the way, and People's Patriot Network. like to get that out of the way. Uh, and we're here for you in these trying times hey chris happy friday indeed it's always happy when it's friday there's a lot of truth to that um i'm surprised about brent i'm not sure what went on because we checked into each other well i was always trying to reach out to him about an hour or sometime in the morning just say hey morning and he responded back and said he's just sitting there so i don't know why i can't get him i'm sure he'll Maybe we'll try again, see if he's available. I might can patch him in again here. But uh, anyway, so these things usually work out. Don't get too stressed about them anymore. Um, how, how are things going out in Clark County, Nevada there this morning? Well, very interesting. Uh, very interesting. Thank you for asking. Yesterday I got at least two of my subpoenas served to these very bad actors uh, who I suspect strongly are – fascist posing as anti-fascist embeds in the uh, Las Vegas Metro Police Department. And there's a couple over there in the FBI also that will be getting subpoenas in the near future. And uh, some zoning Nazis. And, you know, it's just, it's such a complex conspiracy, but more along the lines of Brent's uh, in the law on Friday that we talk about, I read a monstrously horrific sexual abuse violative case uh, right here at the Las Vegas International Airport, Airport, uh, TSA abuse of a female uh, penetrating her vaginal area, vulva stimulation and clitoris stimulation under the guise of a TSA security uh, inspection if they triggered a pretextual alert although she had no prohibited information whatsoever. Okay. Sorry, I was distracted here trying to hook up with Brent. So, um, And I can't even comment on what you said. So, sorry. Well, that's all right. The case is uh, Michelle Luthhauser versus the TSA 
very recent uh, end of 2019. And this seems to be a pattern practice and custom at this particular area because they frequently hire criminals, ones, perverts, reprobates. I think I hear Brent. Yeah, I think we got Brent online finally. I'm not sure what the snafu was, but we finally worked it out. Uh, hey, Brent, you know, welcome aboard, buddy. I tried to call you, and it said you were unavailable right before we went on, so I'm not sure what happened. Anyway, with Bill Gates and Microsoft's new Skype, there's just no telling, honestly. Uh, welcome, well, buddy. That's right. June, yeah. uh, well, June, June the 5th, the 20th. Now, this hit me a minute ago just so we're getting ready to do the show, and I start double-checking all those things like dates and stuff. Uh, uh, isn't tomorrow, June the 6th, wasn't that D-Day? That's right. Yeah, June the 6th, 1944. Yeah. Yeah, nobody said much. I didn't hear much. It's almost D-Day these days in America. Oh, yeah. They want us to forget. I was just thinking, just thinking that uh, the evil empire is running, running hard and fast and vicious right now. They boil over every few years, and they're boiling over now. Blow the lid off the pot, trying to foment war and violence. And they're using this Floyd thing to try to get it done. But there is something still proving to be formidable to them. And that's the the fundamental principles of the Constitution of the United States. They're still being used in the courts. Some of the courts are, are recognizing the Constitution. The Supreme Court of the United States did not when it came their turn. I suppose that shouldn't surprise us, given, given the personalities that are on the court, uh, or whatever they are, boys, girls, men, women, it's, I don't know what they are half the time anymore. Chief Justice Roberts flipped over. Yeah. And it is coming. Hi, Chris. I didn't say hi to you, did I? Well, I'm saying hi. He's here. Well, not yet, but good morning to you, Brent. And I had muted out because the dog was barking, but I am always thrilled to hear you on the radio when you can show up because you always bring extra special things to the show. Wow. Boy, you know how to do the PR. I, I think that uh, I wanted to ask you, though, Chris, has Las Vegas blown up yet? Did you say slowed up or blowed up? <laughs> Blew up. What? What? How are things going down there? Were you saying when I got on and and I interrupted? No, no. I was just finishing talking about a, a case out at the McCarran International Airport of egregious abuse of the TSA on a female passenger. But uh, uh, the town is back somewhat alive. Uh, many casinos opened yesterday at 12.01 a.m. in the morning yesterday. Uh, not all of them, but a substantial number of the larger facilities and some smaller facilities did. Uh, the streets are back busy again, and it looks like uh, things are winding up to charge back up the economy of Las Vegas in spite of the terrorist, uh, tyrannical Governor Steve Sisolak's best efforts to keep it shut down. Oh, well, that's good news. I get that impression from from all the locales where they, they those guys, them, tried to burn down the, the towns. And I'm encouraged 
as I was saying a while ago, the Constitution is still proving to be formidable, as well as the people themselves. And there's more of us. It's it's uh, a great note to me that the people that tried to burn down the college campuses in America are uh, many of them. This is my sense of it. Many of them, if not a critical mass or even a majority, many of them have flipped and said that was stupid and it was a waste of time. I was listening not many years ago to an interview with who was that crazy gal that used to sing all those hippie songs that um, her father was a Methodist preacher and he was, yeah, Joan Baez. Joan Baez, yeah. What's that? Joan Baez and and uh, she was saying, of course, of course, she's an old woman now. She was and a cigarette smoking fiend, but she was saying that uh, they, she really thought, as did other people at that time, that what they were, that singing songs was going to change America. Of course, that was the view of um, who was that banjo player that got Pete, his start Pete, with Roosevelt? Pete Seeger. Oh, Pete, Pete Seeger, boy. I'll tell you about Roger. I don't know anybody that knows much about his music, about music, pop music as you having worked in the industry. But yeah, Pete Seeger, Joan Baez. I never got the feeling that uh, our hometown boy from home, uh, Burl Ives, was in on all that communist stuff. Matter of fact, I never saw anything about it, although he knew all those people, all those, those uh, minstrel, Marxist minstrels. Uh, some people tell me that Burl Ives was. He was close friends with Woody Guthrie, of course, mm-hmm. and Woody was clearly a, well, he was a self-proclaimed communist. He didn't, didn't hide it. And, but she said that he finally figured out after decades later that singing songs isn't going to change the world. Well, good thing it didn't. You know, it is of great note, too, Roger, that minstrels, minstrels throughout the centuries since the first coming of Jesus Christ have been the ones that have have caused trouble, caused trouble throughout the world, and many of them, even down to the first and second centuries, the ones that promoted the Arian controversy and the other controversies in the early, early Christian world that created such a stir that are still with us were minstrels. They weren't men who read and studied and really understood anything, like Pete Seeger. He kind of fashioned himself of a as a half-arsed scholar of some kind. I think he went to some Ivy League school for a while and quit, kind of like Bill Gates. And then he started an organization called Sing Out. And then he started the Hootenanny. Remember the Hootenanny? Yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. The Hootenanny was on uh, television then. He was still involved with that. But anyway, all those folks, I think, have flipped. All of them, a lot of them have flipped and said, that's stupid, that doesn't work. Of course, many of them weren't the shakers and movers of the movement that burned down the university and college campuses in America. And so they're not getting the same traction. Although I noticed that young people, young people, we're talking people in their twenties. Now I've talked to them. I talk to them when I'm out, I take their temperature, ask them questions and they all seem to be pretty willing to go along with the system. Yep. Uh, they float. In other words, if somebody says, the courts say, no, we can't do that, they'll go that way. But if they're working in the banking industry, they'll say, well, that's just the way it is. Let's get with it and live with it. They know everything about us, and we don't care. We want to make money. That's what I see from them. Well, am, there's a whole lot. I, 
You know, there's a whole uprising of young people now on the other side that are into the cyber currencies, heavy into Bitcoin, uh, see yeah. that the potential political changes and the uh, changes uh, worldwide that can happen from instituting that system. I can tell you one thing. The authorities are scared as hell of it. Of the cyber currency? Of, uh, particularly of Bitcoin, you know. Well, yeah. And my guess is, Roger, I don't keep my ear to the ground at it. I just, my feeling from the whole thing is that the system wants to get hold of the cyber currency real oh, bad and control. And that's the problem and is I, they can't get control of Bitcoin and control it. They can have their own. There's different forms. And when you say cyber currency, you're talking about something that's created with cryptography involved. The others uh -huh. are simply a representative of fiat currency in a coin form, and those are called tokens. But uh -huh. people confuse those two, see, and don't yeah. like, like the status argument and everything else. But what I sense is the sharper young people are seeing the system that's destroying their parents and grandparents and are trying to find a better way. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, I, I think they are, but I think they're floating, and they don't know what to do, and they're looking, well, as we all do, where they're looking for leadership. Well, true. Well, I'll give you an example. We were involved in a program, and still are, called BitClub Network. It was started by Americans. It's really worldwide. The majority of people are other citizens of the world, primarily in Asia. And uh, last December the 11th, they nabbed five people, one of them in Germany, on an Interpol warrant. They've been held ever since, and they will not set bail for them uh, as they're a quote-unquote flight risk. Even through all this COVID stuff, they've made appeals on all of it. There's been one hearing in January in Denver, and they did appoint a retired judge as a trustee uh, for the company because they've got a a mining farm up in Montana that had 32 employees and the guys they arrested are the guys that control all of the release of money and there's nobody authorized to release anything. So uh -huh. they've, they've not, they've nailed them on one count still only all these months later of wire fraud. It wasn't, it was a couple of old distributors that were rogue and then these key people from the structure and the IRS evidently has got the hard drives and uh, still trying to find something on them. But the company, from what I'm told by John and the people that are more plugged in, they'd had two international audit firms auditing the company because they were considering taking it public. And they were trying to get all that legwork and homework done. So this is a clear attempt by them, the feds, the, to sideline this. Because it was a pretty big entity. I mean, they are combined one of the bigger miners in the world. Now, uh -huh. I think we're going to get those contracts back. Okay. But they're going to tie it up, evidently, and do whatever fanatics and everything else they're doing as long as possible just to keep them on the sidelines. Well, Roger, I must make a report to you. A listener just contacted me and said, I can't hear Roger very well. All right. And I don't know what that means or uh, what you can do, but uh, your voice uh, is soft. I tell you, man. The, uh, all right. Well, I'll crank the volume up here again uh, a little bit and see if that doesn't equalize this out a bit. 
you're particularly resonant today and have a lower frequency tone, and that might be why some people are having some less than favorable experience. Uh, listen, with the problems that we've had this week with the technological stuff, on, uh, uh, it's just been a nightmare. Really unusual. That All those problems yesterday, we got a piece of software here, Brent, that Paul put together for us. It's integral, uh, and it connects to the server so that everyone can hear us. It's called, and we used to joke about it, it's called BUTT, B-U-T-T. And okay. of the integrals, it's probably the most stable of all of them. It's just a simple little program, and it's almost almost invaluable. But, boy, yesterday it was like a – well, it's just a bad day. It had a bad hair day yesterday. And uh, so, anyway, it, it seems to be appearing and acting up pretty good today. I'm sorry about the levels. It's just – Look, to be able to do this without having to run commercials and burden y'all with all that stuff, and all, and us too, uh, we do this on, on the shoestring, okay? And this is some of the, uh, yeah, it's not a studio with a VU meter and an engineer and a call screener and a news guy and a sports guy, okay? Yes. Well, I just got a report from the same person, Roger, and this person said, thanks, they can hear you okay. better now. And, and sometimes it seems these levels, not only the levels, but the comparison levels, the problem is the comparison levels with you guys so that we all equalize, okay? Uh -huh. And I have to crank mine up where if you look at it visually, you go, that's just not right, you know, but it evidently is. So, uh, like I said, just the some of the drawbacks of doing this the way we do it you know we're learning but it's in the, in the long run i like this and i'm i'm glad we have this platform and i know it takes work other people have worked to put it together roger i have also uh noticed oh it's been it's been two or three years ago i got a quite a few quite a few folk calling me saying that they had been indicted by a federal grand jury and every one of them was in the same situation. They were handling cyber currency. And if that's not the right term to use, tell me, but they were handling cyber currency and they had developed private associations to do it. And if you belong to their association, then you could trade with them. And the people that ran it vetted, vetted the members in other words, tried to find out if they were running some kind of a, an illegal drug operation. And they didn't have any accusations of that. They just had accusations of, of doing things that the Federal Reserve Bank didn't want them to do, I suppose. Try to find any little thing on them to get them with. And it has been my discovery, Roger, that the people that are in federal prison are not there for selling crack cocaine or methamphetamines or running a meth lab, but they're there for selling that stuff and using the, the dollars the Federal Reserve authorizes in a way that the Federal Reserve doesn't like. That's what brings criminal accusations at the federal level more than about anything else. I don't disagree with you, um, and uh, they've. I have a, a friend who, uh, back when we were doing the first program we did a couple of years ago, Gladiacoin, 
was trying uh-huh. it, it, all of a sudden the explosion of people want to get involved and they can't get bitcoin and it requires bitcoin uh-huh. to run on okay so there's an acquisition at the front end problem well he had good credit and all that stuff locally where he was up in tulsa and uh, works in the gas and oil industry. And so he starts putting together a little deal where he can buy Bitcoin and sell it to people to get into the program, right? Well, he gets called uh-huh. by the banks because he's doing wires with people and going, what's all this unusual activity that's going on in your account? Well, they shut him down. I mean, in no uncertain terms and real quick, all right? The other day I'm talking to him and he said, I can't even go on CoinDesk and buy Bitcoin now. He said, I tried the other day to go buy some Bitcoin. I wanted to buy $500 worth. I had an account. It worked fine. And now I'm barred. It's suspended. And it had to be like with Cody from his comment in the gun forum there that got picked up and put in the system. And he goes across to Canada and comes back and gets uh, treated like a criminal with all his phones confiscated. Yeah. Yeah, no telling. No telling what they do to you and me, Roger and Chris. Well, they See, won't do anything to me because all those laws are for citizens of the United States and residents. Did Daryl Wayne come on? Daryl Wayne came on with us. He joined in seamlessly somewhat in that conversation. Good morning, Daryl. Well, good morning, uh, Roger, Brent, and Chris. And uh, interesting, another interesting day, another interesting conversation. And uh, so, uh, and just listening to you here in the first 15 minutes, I couldn't get on because we had a thunderstorm here. I lost connection. But uh, listen, I, uh, throughout my, uh, my life, uh, and more recently, I've become aware of that every, every crime syndicate always pursues a monopoly. Always. And uh i think i think it's uh i think history has proven that we need to be uh be careful with our our uh, premises and context uh the the evidence that i see uh i'm not fighting over the facts uh somebody's individual facts and perceptions i'm just looking at the end result evidence is that what a lot of people are proposing is a legitimate, credible government is actually uh, simply a, uh, a really uh, uh, been substituted for an international crime syndicate. And uh, when you when you step away from your personal biases as to what you really think, what you think is going on and just look at the evidence, then uh, you, you sort of free yourself from your own particular uh, uh, misinterpretations, you know, I, I don't really have a stake in something being right or wrong. I just look at, I just look at what is, and, uh, my, my history has proven that I've been wrong many times. So I've had to learn to eat humble pie and, uh, back away from not what should be, but what is <laughs> there you yeah. have it. Yeah. Chris, you were going to try and inject something in. <laughs> Well, I was just kind of uh, mirroring and complimenting Daryl for his astute observations. My observation that government has become a racketeering operation pretty much essentially 
throughout the whole agencies of government, and they've all tried to corner on market on whatever their particular specialty of shakedown, extortion, drug abuse, sex trafficking, child trafficking, body parts trafficking, or whatever special interest they have to line their pockets at the expense of the American people and to charge us for the pleasure of it <laughs> under their taxation schemes. Well, it's just like Bastier said back in the 1800s. It's the people, the plunderers, get in control, and they will always make laws that legalize their plunder. And I don't think... Yeah. Um, go ahead, Daryl. Go ahead, Brad. Well, no, 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 you go ahead. Okay. I don't think that any of us will ever reform the system. No. It seems to me that looking at history, that the way anyone has ever beat this ugly worldly system is to get out of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Case in point, it shouts at us, is the United States of America. People came to these precincts and shores to escape an evil system that was beyond repair. And it's still not repaired. It won't be repaired. And, of course, the problem is when we came here, I mean, our forebears came here, they brought themselves with them. And so sooner or later, sooner or later, it was going to start again. I'd like to read about the Puritans. You know, they had their heads screwed on pretty straight. That, those fellows that founded that colony in Connecticut, they sat down. They said, okay, here's, we're going to run, here's the way we're going to run business here. We're going to make an agreement that uh, commandments, statutes, and judgments of the Bible are going to be our standard of law. And, of course, in, largely in Puritan New England and everywhere else, uh, to varying degrees, that was the standard. And course now there are something like i did the calculations and i had a ballpark figure based on other figures how many how many descendants of the mayflower and there were only very few of them how many descendants of the mayflower live in america it was in the millions and millions it seemed like it was 13 million but maybe it was I'm, maybe it was double that whatever it was it was a lot and i know I'm, roger you've i'm one, one of those of them. yeah i'm one of them yeah millions of them it's not like I mean, you're special, Roger. We know that, but there's lots of you, and <laughs> and uh, but we're all, they we're all special. A, uh, yes, we are, uh, and we all contribute in a way that God pro provincially has has uh, set for us to do it. And I appreciate everybody that I find as a kindred spirit. Uh, God sends them my way, and I'm sent their way, but. With Puritan New England, they had their heads screwed on straight by 1811, which would have been 100 and what, 150 years, I don't see 100, oh, over 150 years later. By 1811, the school that the Puritan preacher, John Harvard, founded by donating his little meager library to train people to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, by 1811, Harvard College had gone Unitarian, clearly, and made the proclamation. Oh, they retained their conservative point of view, what politically conservative. But they went Unitarian, and now, of course, they're just plumb outer space wacko at this point. Um, and the other, uh, many other institutions in New England have gone the same way. So it doesn't make any difference who you are. It doesn't make any difference how biblical you are. 
and Winston Churchill made the comment, and I think he was right, the Puritans of England and the ones that came to New England were the most biblical race of men that had ever existed, that ever were. And I don't know how anybody could have been more biblical, including the nation Israel. Of course, they weren't biblical at all. The Old Testament is a record of their utter unbiblical point of view and their sin. That's why it's there, to tell us how rotten it can get among those that have all the opportunities and advantages. Well, um, Daryl, what did you have on your mind? Don't tell me you forgot. <laughs> well, huh? uh, you, you always give me a lot. You guys always give me a lot to work with, and thank you very much. Uh, the uh, the Puritans uh, and that, that branch of them called the uh, the Pilgrims, when they landed on Plymouth Rock, had, had been deceived. Uh, they... Uh, they thought they were headed for Virginia and warm water, <laughs> uh-huh. and uh, they they got they got hoodwinked. A uh, little bamboozling went on there because see, uh, the the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria uh, were, were um, owned by uh, other than uh, the, the, those ships weren't owned by the Pilgrims, and they weren't acting in an autonomous nature. They were in an indentured contract uh, to Jewish bankers in London for the uh-huh. purpose of a commercial colony. Yep. And so uh, the very premise of what they had in their heart, they had uh, uh, probably uh, naively, consciously, unconsciously, I can't speak to that, but at some point the uh, – the, the seed of deception and connection had already been established uh, before they even saw land. So we have this legacy that plays we're seeing play out in real time of uh, regardless regardless of the intent and the premise, we have have always and persistently consistently had infiltration and subversion and um, this infiltration and subversion now has turned into this rancid rot of untransparent, uh, uh, ubiquitous um, degeneracy in this uh, every agency of this entire precept called government of uh, United States or even states. It's filthy. It's disgusting. And uh, so... I, I mean, I really can't. Uh, I could go on, but I won't. I won't. I won't continue to you try got, to use more and more adjectives. But. It's the users yeah. and their willing subjects, psychopaths generally. I'm sure if you went back through historically, you'd almost find this to be the case. It's hard not knowing those people personally or seeing them a little more in your oh, time. Yeah. But it seems like to me that they all create crave power and control over you. We say all, there's a few exceptions, okay, but not many generally. Hopefully there'd be more. And when it gets to a point, and I like to use Ron Paul as one of the, uh, let's say Rob Ron Paul versus Hillary Clinton, and they're running for president, well, there's nothing Hillary Clinton won't do to achieve that position. 
to achieve those goals. Oh, and, yeah. and Ron Paul, being moral and ethical, has limits, and he's going to hit a glass ceiling at some point. It's almost always shifted to me because of that to the psychopaths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 We, uh, I... Um... I, I'm glad you brought this up and said this today, Roger, right here, because uh, I was trying to work that very idea back into the conversation yesterday. And they, uh, we, uh, as Brentwood described earlier, as a kindred spirit, have rules to the game, if you will. And and they don't, and their rules are like uh, Butch Cassidy said: we, there are no rules. And and yeah, see that is, was the Pharisees. Is, There's a problem that Jesus had with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had a culture where yeah. they can just change the rules, just like the administrative state can today. And and this is this is being manifest in real time, present, and it's hard for people to articulate it. But what you're what we're experiencing in real time now, whether. Uh, through authority, whether it's uh, uh, valid or not, uh, I say it's not, uh, is arbitrariness. They're arbitrary. Mm-hmm. They have they have taken upon themselves the vestige and power and, and position of being arbitrary. Let me and throw another. This not is only great. Do they create. This is the legal phrase <laughs> for what you're yeah. saying. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just can't help yeah. myself. Arbitrary yeah. and capricious. <laughs> yes. And and uh, and we know how the weather is. The weather is very capricious, and uh, uh, given its nature. So uh, I I I really like that you brought that out, and uh, I'm interested in Brent's point of view. I just would go uh, on to add that I think one of the challenges before us. I, I think we need to be very clear. One of the challenges before us as a people of kindred spirit is how do we appropriately deal with unquestionably identifiable sociopaths and psychopaths. And um, uh, like I said yesterday, I have little problem with what people have done in the past. It's what you're doing now that I have to address. And I, I think we're at that point. Well, and that's what makes the whole foundations of what we do here so important, because they control only that group of people that are in that class. And just like we've, you, you want to come out of her, the Bible tells us, we know from personal experience, I don't think any of you want to be out there confronting, confronting Congress riots or Antifa. Uh, you want to remove yourself from all that insanity. And we can do it. See, we've got the tools to do it. We just haven't reached a way to cast the net wide enough to find the big fish, if you will, to use a little metaphor there. Yeah. Well, um, Daryl made made the point that the pilgrims were dependent financially upon bankers from London who were of the Pharisees sect probably well i guess they would have been yeah and various shades of it all the shades are ultimately talmudic but they were dependent which which tells the reason why they that is the banksters want to have absolute control of the use of whatever people think is money 
because once they have that, that's their power. They got you. And it's an, it's an ultimate power that goes far beyond government. People say that the Federal Reserve Bank is neither federal nor does it have any reserves. Oh, that's true. Yes, I get it. But also, uh, de facto, it is federal in this sense. It controls those people. I shouldn't say it because it's, it's folk, people, certain group of people. They control persons, control the federal government, and they do it. And they control the state governments, too. Yes, through, through the, the Fed. It, through the Fed. Through the Fed. And that is why I believe Ron Paul hit the nail with his head when he wrote that little booklet and kept saying the name of the booklet was End the Fed. If the Fed is ended, then all that power goes away. Is it possible to do that? Has it ever happened? We, a while ago, um, Daryl said that the syndicates of crime become organized, essentially, sooner or later. Unless you live in St. Louis, crime's not organized in St. Louis. It is in Chicago. Uh, and in St. Louis, it's every man for himself on the street. <laughs> it really is. Those guys they're just killing each other. And, and there's, uh, at least organized crime brings a little bit of order to the killing. They, they don't even have that in St. Louis. <laughs> but um, the um, the crime, the crime syndicates will eventually. Now I forgot what Daryl said. What did you say? Oh, you said, oh, bring it back, Daryl. You said. Crime will all the syndicates will always something. Too many international things. crime uh, a, a crime syndicate. Uh-huh. One of its primary objectives in a crime syndicate is oh. to uh, uh, obtain and maintain a monopoly. That's it, monopoly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Monopoly. May I uh, throw yeah. one in here? Yeah, I think it was uh, Lord Meyer M. Schelberberg, aka Rothschild who said, give me a control of a nation's currency, and I care not who make the laws. That is total control. So a monopoly on currency would give total control to everything is their point of view. And that's the only thing that drives the evil empire. I talked to a lady yesterday who worked in a financial institution. She was just, well, in her mid-20s. She was about to get married. And she said, well, just in passing, I didn't even raise the subjects for, uh, well, she said, well, I've got to have a paycheck, got to have one. And I could tell that it, that was what drove her the way she said it. It drives most people. That's what drives these police police officers and mayors Mm -hmm. to do what they're doing. They're dependent upon people who have money. Well, yeah, go ahead. uh, Brent, you, uh, I, uh, I was kind of torn in two different directions to go here, but you have sort of made that choice for me here. Uh, your example of the women is uh, really very uh, spot on to what I, I want to talk about here. In the in the uh, uh, the premise that the government is valid and it's working for the benefit of the public and the people and the greater uh, society at large. Uh, they they make decisions and uh, administrate, and uh, this is shared, uh, communicated, and so we have uh, all for the purpose. Uh, they're trying to achieve something here. Well, I I, I suggest to you that this, what they're trying to achieve is confidence. <laughs> FDR, FDR. Uh, 
is uh, shepherding, <laughs> if you will, uh, uh, the the population through the 30s, and uh, he's trying to reestablish uh, his his vision of of a society and a government and and creating confidence in his administration and in government. And uh, through this course, um, we then go into the war, and of course there's this patriotic fervor and more confidence in, in, in our government. Okay, and people put their lives on the lines and were killed over it uh, in war. And uh, by, they, they did this through the confidence that what they were doing was legitimate. And... and uh, so uh, this this is this patriotism and this ideology then uh, bore fruit through uh, the the forties and the fifties and the sixties, and uh, because there was if if you would talk to your parents at that time, you know, well this is how you live your life and this is what how you do thing and and uh, exchange of money and what money was and how you worked. And you had confidence in that, so then you worked towards the future with confidence, uh, based upon uh, you were within a lawful legal framework, and it was uh, okay. Uh, what's happened now is that confidence, uh, the the confidence game, is almost uh, okay. Fewer and fewer people now have any confidence in in the con, and so what what is really uh, uh, happening here psychologically and having material effects is in everybody's day-to-day lives is that they are switching from a position of confidence over to where you are dependence. So we, we need to bring this other word in called dependence. And this is what this woman was relaying to you, her fear uh, that it, it, she had, she doesn't have confidence in him anymore. She she understands this, even if she can't articulate it, her dependence. Everybody now is becoming sensitive and aware and acutely aware of their dependence. And um, uh, so and they're about obviously be- this is what they want you to be. Yeah, They're yeah. about to become acutely they want- more aware of it. De- and, and, and so dependence – uh, from the perspective, one, one aspect of this game is to take the herd, uh, the population, and make it more and more dependent. See, this worked extremely well on the black uh, population through the 60s. And now uh, this uh, is being equally applied to uh, uh, the rest of the world, not, not just uh, your little corner, but, but the entire world. They want dependence. Uh, dependent people do not challenge uh, crime monopolies. Never okay. have. So let's go back to so. this cryptocurrency thing and play the game of what if. All right. So what if Bitcoin continues to grow, get people's attention, gain legitimacy, gain popularity, the apps get easier to use, which is one of the big obstacles, et cetera, et cetera. And we switch over to a unbreakable, not a token system with FedCoin. Although there, it'll probably interact where you can exchange, but a more of a pure-based Bitcoin system, cryptocurrency. Now, for those of you who don't know, go do a little remedial here. The reason it makes it secure 
is because as opposed to the central bank and the central federal government, Bitcoin and the way it is produced is decentralized. Brent, do you understand this the way that the bit, let's just use Bitcoin as an example, okay? There's other coins, all the systems have some variants, but this is the granddaddy, so let's talk about it. Do you understand how that system is set up and why it's secure? I I don't understand it, but I understand what people tell me. But I, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's not something I'm deeply familiar okay, with. Well, let's try and the, okay, let's try and simplify post, 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 it. The whole that, yeah, it pivots yeah. on the term decentralized. So instead of a but central got, location, yeah, it's all over the place. And that's one of the reasons it's such a big threat to them, because they've got these computers that are mining this stuff and competing to solve a, a mathematical problem. And it's solved approximately every 10 minutes. Okay, And when that okay. problem is solved, all the transactions go into a block which shows you all the origins, destinations, and everything. It doesn't name people, but it shows addresses. Okay, And that okay. is then added at the end of the blockchain. So the blockchain is simply a big database that's a combination of a certain amount of these transactions all strung in a line, and they're all transparent. Okay. So um, if that system could get instituted, everybody picked it up, and it was the ruling system the way the fiat currency is now, let's look at the way that it would change things. And one of the interesting uh, uh, ways here is in taxation because they can't go in and grab your Bitcoin wallet, Bitcoin, anymore. And so now it switches to them to do a good job and say, hey, can't you see the way that we're doing that? Look at the fire department and this and the police route stopping Antifa and all this other stuff. Wouldn't you like to give us some tax money? Uh-huh. See, it switches everything. I mean, that's just one example. There's, there, there's others. But that one stuck with my mind. The other thing is something that when I got into it and got – involved on the conceptual side of it a couple of years ago, as many of us did. Um, Cliff High, the guy that I pay attention to, followed for many years, made a statement that I thought was it, it was profound to me then, and it's profound to me now. And he said it'll be the first time in the history of the world when family fortunes are made that were not based on criminal activity. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. But they're making it look criminal and indictment. Well, people. they are because they're scared as heck of it, you know, really. Yeah. Because it threatens might. their power. It really literally erodes their power and, and brings them, if you will, to heel a bit. And that's why they're so terrified of it. So all, all these things. Chris, you were going to say something? Well, going back to the original conversation... The placing of people on a terror watch list for financial so-called terrorism seems to be something that proliferated around the Obama administration and may be continuing on through today. And the fact that the FBI in America is the enforcement arm for the IMF and the uh, World Bank and these Corban kings the kings have taken it because they can, as Brent has so wonderfully educated us. Uh, this is where the word term banking or bond king comes from. And these people, they hate competition. In fact, I think they say competition is a sin. 
And I've heard that those what, very words uttered just recently. Rockefeller. That was Rockefeller said that originally. Absolutely. And so the same thing that happened with me, putting innocent people on the terror watch list so they can investigate them 24-7 ad infinitum and receive unjust enrichment by doing so, is something that appears to have permeated other agencies, including the SEC and FinCEN in particular, which is a global task force of tracking down what they term illicit funds, hey. which might be totally lawful and within the law, but they, uh, under the Fifty Shades of Grey, the Grey Zone, the asymmetric warfare, they can use the legal system to per se execute anybody who they yeah. want to grab yeah. their money through extortion plots. You're just little old Chris in Clark County, Nevada. What about Michael Flynn? Oh, yeah. Well, that's the same thing. Absolutely. No, uh, yeah, but, but a little different. But they can do it to even somebody of that stature, that reputation, and that ironclad background of being a three-star military general. To Michael Flynn... Sydney Barrow has a new video up this morning, I think, with, uh, oh, I can't even think of his name. He's a really stoic uh, evening broadcaster. I just not pull his name up. But this corruption, this is when criminals are so frightened to death of somebody with moral scruples and ethics coming in and investigatory abilities of the highest fashion with deep inside knowledge of the Ukraine and Russia becomes a threat to their criminal right. enterprise. They mm -hmm. are liable to do anything to keep them quiet, and they put Flynn right there with Kim Jong-il of Korea it was in, uh, as the two most dangerous people. It was interesting last night on Tucker Carlson the opening monologue there, and I've just, it's such a, it was a, kind of a seminal moment to me, but he's going, well, I finally figured out what all this is. Did any of you see that? Did you see that last night, Daryl, by any chance? He goes in and he sets it up. And I didn't. He's, he's going, I, I, he says, here we've been covering all these riots and all this thing over George Floyd and all this other stuff, and it finally dawned on me. This is an attack on Donald Trump and how scared these people are. Okay. Right there, the opening monologue on Tucker Carlson last night. I was just kind of shocked, really. Well, is there anything to the story that's put out? It seems to be pretty firm that this Floyd and this cop by the name of Chauvin, which doesn't seem to be his real name, the basis of the word chauvinist, uh, the cop's name was Chauvin, and uh, Floyd had worked together Correct. in a restaurant for 17 years. And both of them. A bar Pardon? owned by a lady who's one, the local head of La Raza. What's La Raza? La Raza it <laughs> means the – Brent, really? Honestly, yep. you don't know the history. Of it is, a, and this is very interesting. Got a little bit of history. Most people don't know. La Raza is a, a, a Mexican type revolutionary group to go and overturn the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo and take back over the Southwest. Reconquistas is the other thing they've used. But 
And I, I learned this years ago going to a John Birch Society meeting because they were big on immigration back in the 90s. We had a strong chapter there in the Atlanta area. And one of the things I went to, the origins of La Raza were the Ford Foundation in the 60s printing up comic books, laying out the whole concept and shipping them and, and covering the southern provinces of Mexico with them. That's the origin. Okay. Well, now they've... Uh -huh. It's driven a lot of the immigration stuff. They've infiltrated the country, and they've gotten some political. Obama got a bunch of them up uh, in higher offices, and evidently a center of it is there in Minneapolis. And uh, this gal recently owned the nightclub that just sold it recently. He had hired both of them. They worked together for 17 years at the same establishment. Now, the story is they may not have known each other. Because one of them worked inside and one of them worked outside. But anybody that thinks in 17 years that these guys didn't cross paths, go see if they can okay. frost a mirror, okay? I mean, come on. Yeah. All right. So anyway, okay. she just cut a deal with the Minnesota Twins, and she sold this and bought a radio station in Minneapolis, and it's called La Raza. Okay. I mean, there's all okay. kinds of nefarious tie-ins, all kinds of stuff about that incident. I'm not going to spend a bunch of my time checking it, and certainly nobody else is looking too deeply at this point. But uh, it's rotten to the core. Yeah. It's all connected, and it's coming out. That's the good news. There's another Antifa Veritas report this morning out of New York. Uh, about a four-minute okay. video. They had one released yesterday. They infiltrated uh, one of the cells out in Oregon. Got inside footage, how they went through, contacted them, cleared them, all the stuff, had inside video of their meetings. And today, this little four-minute segment is of training in New York City at a certain gym where they go in there and teach them how to disable people uh, if they come in hand-to-hand -hand combat and stuff. So now AG Barr has all these reports have gotten back to Barr, and they're starting a uh, investigation at DOG on the staged aspects of this thing. So you know they're they're again, the bad guys are at a point of desperation. The question to me is: Is this the last thing they got planned to throw at him before November? Well, Roger, no. Go ahead. I was just going to ask, Roger, didn't you play a audio or video yesterday that had the young lady who had discovered that the so-called... I can play it again. I think I've, stick it, I've got it right here. I can stick it again. It's only two minutes long. Brent didn't hear it. Yeah. Let me, all right. Well, give us the name all of right. it. Well, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and play it. Brent, let's see here if I can get this thing working right. Uh, it's okay. called Get the Word Out. Okay, and uh, let's see if this. It's play. been brought to my attention within the last ten minutes that there are people impersonating National Guardsmen among us here in California. There's a video clip making its way through the Twitter community showing well over a dozen National Guardsmen on their knees in the middle of an intersection. It it might be somewhere on Wilshire Boulevard. It's it's hard for me to tell exactly where the video was recorded, but it's definitely somewhere in Los Angeles County or Santa Monica. It's the consensus of former intel and military that this signals an extremely dangerous move forward in the coup. From mismatched unit patches to their footwear, something's off. 
One Twitter user stated that they're wearing the patch of the 1st Infantry that's stationed in Kansas and said a National Guard unit would not be associated with a non-Guard division and concluded that a prop department with uniforms on hand wouldn't know the difference. I'm guessing that they actually meant a wardrobe department, but that's not the point. In the 24-second long video clip, you can hear a woman's voice off camera in the first three or four seconds of the clip, alerting the kneeling National Guardsmen, actors, traitors, that the feed is about to go live. She says, pics are hot. We're watching the overthrow of our country in real time. General Mattis has been doing his part to get the party started and ripped the president a new one in a lengthy statement that he emailed to the press. In response to Mattis' statement, former National Security Council Director of Strategic Planning, Rich Higgins, tweeted the following, quote, Since Mattis has broken his silence, I will break mine. Mattis accessed the administration through an individual who was fired from the transition team. The reason for firing? He was meeting with Chinese and Vietnamese communists in Beijing, unquote. Let that sink in, folks. I'll leave links to the video clip, Mattis' statement, and the rest in the production notes below this video. Get there you go. What'd you think of that, Brent? Well, my first thought is, who's she working for? Now, I, I haven't heard all this. The, the thing about the National Guardsmen being impersonators, well, that seems plausible, given the level of intrigue going on. But that Mattis is a traitor, I'm not convinced listening to her. She seems sure. But who in the dickens is she? Well, she's just reporting the things that were out there in the public domain. That this is a this is one of the things that is really endangering them is this is the decentralization of news reporting. We do it here. There are thousands of people doing it all over the world on these little YouTube channels and this and these little yep. channels like we've got. And it's eating them alive. You know, I said yesterday the quote from Eustace Mullins, I could probably go dig it up the video there of him back when he was with us, one of the patriarchs of our movement, and he said a simple statement. He said, God was merciful on us, and he gave us the Internet. Yeah. Well, he's a God of mercy, and he never stops, and his mercies are new. He says every morning, get up and be happy. But do you accept? What she has reported about General Mattis being in collusion with the communist Chinese? Don't know about that. It didn't say Mattis was in collusion with them. It said the guy that sponsored him in the transition team who had been fired for whatever reason was the one that did. She didn't correct. She just made the association that that guy that was meeting with the communists was the one that proffered Mattis. I see. I might. Yeah, good, Chris. Go ahead. So it appears that Mattis is an academic general with no actual objective battle experience under his belt whatsoever to uh, get his generalship from. Well, let me say. And he's much like. Go ahead, Chris. Finish up. Much like Harry Reid, the so-called fighter, uh, a red diaper baby himself, 
there have been many of our higher offices and leadership positions in government and military and agencies that have been embedded, occupied, and seditiously undermined with communist, Zionist influences that are dead set on destroying this country and taking over the country. And this is exactly what this crowds on demand central casting staged event in uh, California was about to give the impression, the illusion that uh, National Guardsmen were kneeling to honor Black Lives Matter and Antifa, which are really fascist elements of the Zio conspiracy funded by George Soros, Move On, the Quantum Foundation, Open. and other aspects of his organization. Open Society is the umbrella group. I'd like to say that in the speeches of Lewis T. Yeah. McFadden, he made a statement back when this was stated on the floor of the House of Representatives in the 30s that the Federal Reserve controlled every important office in Washington. Now, that was in 1933. How much control do you think they've got now? Roger, repeat that. Who has the control? Who did they say? McFadden made a statement in one of his speeches that the Federal Reserve controls every important office in Washington. And that was back in when he was alive in the 30s. I get it. I get it. Yeah. No, I can see that, too. And I've had, well, getting back to this simple point, if they don't control uh, money, the issuance of money, and with that, to maintain that control, the the banksters must control taxation because if they don't have a pop valve on this boiler yep. called fiat money, it'll blow up. Yep. It'll inflate, blows up, so they have to suck out of the system off the books money through the taxation system. And that's why they're so willing to be so vicious and to jail folk for nothing and have been doing it for decades. Uh, and and that's one of the big problems they've got because they're pumping money in this thing like like there ain't no tomorrow now, okay? And Rob Kirby, who's an alternate guy that many of us respect from Canada, he used to be a, a in-the-system guy, he was a derivatives trader, and he broke off a number of years ago and, and started a gold and silver business, and he does tonnage for high-value customers. Are you familiar with him, Brent? No. He's good. I'll go back and dig this interview up Wednesday with Greg and send it to you. I've been following him for a number of years. He's a real straight shooter. He's a big old burly, bluff, buff Canadian who don't pull no punches. Okay, And he's saying that this incredible money printing, when the thing's going to come to a stop, is when the country's demand that we do trade with demand something in payment other than dollars. Now, I think there, and we've talked about this a lot on the program. I don't hear anybody else talking about it. I hear the reset thing mentioned here a little bit more over the last few days, but nobody talks about what happened last year with the Basel Accord Three treaties and the effect and why that was done and analyze that. They switched gold from a tier three where they could carry 50% of the value over to the balance sheet of whatever the asset is to a tier one where they can carry 100% of the value over to the balance sheet in banks worldwide. They made that switch last March 29th, I think, of last year. And the only reason after 50 years they would do that is because they got a reset coming. 
That is the only reason if anybody, and I've made this plea openly on the air here, if there's anybody that can come up with another reason of why they would do that, except for a reset where they're going to make up for the paper losses by the gold gains, then tell us, because I want to know. I think I'm in over my head, Roger. Okay, Brent. For fifty years, nope. the bi you know the bis is right. Say again, the bis. Bis b b boy Bank of International Settlements in Basel, Switzerland. Well, I've heard of it. Well, this was in the Lewis T. McFadden speeches because that's when they formed it, and he was talking about it in his speeches back then. When I read it years ago, it was way over my head, but I can see a lot of it now. You know, they uh-huh. set up a bank of international settlements in Basel, Switzerland. Okay, significant. Uh-huh. Well, it's the fourth place on the world with absolute sovereignty that we know of, that they control. Uh-huh. City of London, Washington D.C., Rome. Well, Basel, Switzerland's the same way. Swiss government can't go in, demand any papers, can't serve anybody, can't do nothing. Okay? And it is the banker's bank. And it is where all the central banks get controlled from. Not only the central banks, but all the markets of the world. Stock markets, bond markets, all of them. Okay? A lot of control over there. All right. And well, they work the they work as that umbrella authority over all the financial system globally. Well, they've got these things they call Basel Accords. And they had the third uh-huh. one. And they instituted it, they wrote it a couple of years ago. They instituted it last year at the end of March. They didn't do it on April first because they didn't want people to think it was an April Fool's joke. Okay. Uh-huh. And so they instituted, and one of the key things is what I was just talking about. Banks have three. You've done a lot of banking cases lately, right? You're pretty familiar with that. I would say, yeah. All right. Well, internally in the bank, they've got three tiers of assets. They've got to have reserve requirements, all that kind of stuff, right? And the asset tiers are one, two, and three. And what makes them different is whatever the asset is is considered to be either 100% liquid and they can carry it over to the balance sheet on 100% carryover, bonds, cash, equities, etc. Okay, So if they've got a million dollars worth of them in the bank, they can carry a million dollars in value over their balance sheet. If it's a Tier 2 asset, they can only carry 75% value over. And if it's a Tier 3, they only get to carry 50% of the value over. For 50 years, gold's been a three-tier asset. Last year, they moved it to a Tier 1 asset for the first time in 50 years. Why would they do that? What do you think the result will be? I think the result will be we're going to have a reset here at some point and have a short banking holiday because they like to do the things that have worked in the past, and gold will be revalued probably to $10,000 an ounce. And what that will do is it will allow them with enough profits from revaluing the gold to eat up the losses they've got on all the bogus paper and so stay solvent. Thinking- yeah, it's your thinking that gold, probably silver, too, will go up. All of it's going to go up. Bitcoin, cybers, gold, silver, it's all going to go up, folks. 
And when's it going to go up? Yeah, well, that, I, look, I don't know. Could be tomorrow. Could be next year once Trump gets – well, they're obviously holding the market for Trump. Okay, because there ain't no reason over the last two months with all of the inactivity and everything else and trillions of dollars being thrown around, helicopter money, everything else over the sun, there's no reason the, uh, the stock market's going up. Yeah, it seems that oh, way. Brent. Yeah, Daryl, I'm here. Brent, uh, you're a, you're a, we're, we're kind of a word history forum here, and uh, – Maybe if I uh, I backed this up a little bit and gave you a little history on something here. Uh, you heard of this guy named Napoleon? I've heard of him. <laughs> Napoleon? Yeah. Uh, well, he, uh, he pretty much said it. Yeah, right. Hey, hey Harvey. He, uh, he set himself up as emperor uh, in uh, 1804. And uh, uh, he, he got... Uh, he got pretty powerful, and he appointed his brothers and relatives as kings over different parts of Europe. And uh, he uh, he was funded by uh, the Rothschild uh, banking cartel complex. He was. So uh, he uh, he got a little cocky, and uh. he started working against. He he uh, he actually started to believe his own BS, which was he was some kind of short, uh, vertically challenged emperor. And uh, uh, he he went against his money masters, uh, and uh, so the the money masters, the uh, the Jewish international merchant bankers, uh, they decided that they were going to have to uh, uh, deal with him. And in, in the course of doing that, of course, these are these are very clever, cunning individuals. And what they did, and, and this is, becomes very pertinent to the Bank of International Set, uh, Settlement uh, much later on, uh, the uh, Rothschild Banking Cartel and the brothers established uh, in Switzerland and in the city of Geneva in specificity uh, their banking headquarters in Geneva, Switzerland. At this point in time, uh, I, I'm not privileged to the uh, – the machinations that went on with the Swiss government, uh, as such, but uh, they were giving uh, carte blanche, and uh, basically were able to uh, convince the Swiss government uh, to make a proclamation that the Swiss government would remain neutral in all geopolitical uh, conflicts, and this is the beginning of, of uh, neutrality. Uh, think of the think of the only country, particularly in Europe, in a in a in a hot con- if there was ever a conflict zone, it would have been Switzerland. Okay, but for some reason, nobody ever touched it. Nobody ever, any side, always left alone, and they're neutral. And the reason is is because that's that was the epicenter of the uh, Jewish merchant banking international cartel, and they were safe there. They were safe. They were physically safe. And uh, so uh, at this point, at this point, uh, the wars then proceed uh, over the next uh, through 1812 and on uh, with uh, in Europe with the uh, deposing, uh, deposing Napoleon and and bringing uh, England uh, back into ascendancy. Uh 
and uh, that was that was with intent, and it was with the the people that had funded and set Napoleon up ultimately had to take him down and transfer power to somebody who was more compliant with what they wanted to do. According and, to you and, know the book we talk about uh, that I turned John to Daryl Knuth, The Empire of the City. According to Knuth, when I read yeah. that, that's the reason that they hate the Russians so much is because Napoleon was their first effort at the New World Order concept, and the Russians defeated him. Yeah. Well, this is this is this is the nature of the world revolutionary movement. Uh, the uh, the revolutionary spirit is some people describe it as they are. I think there's three three adjectives that describe them very well and should not be forgotten, and it is they are ambitious, vindictive, and rapacious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, so here, here. the the bank of the bank of international settlement comes out of comes out of uh, the uh, the failure of the League of Nations uh, and uh, so on and so forth, and the Treaty of Versailles and they uh, they actually used that time period in the early 30s there uh, to uh, consolidate power and set up the Bank of International Settlement, which also helped fund uh, uh, Nazi Germany. So uh, why would why would Jews fund Nazi Germany? <laughs> Divide you know? and conquer, uh, or or. Uh, or at least ameliorate. Uh, at, at the very least, they did was to ameliorate the uh, uh, the uh, imposition of the Treaty of Versailles upon Germany. So uh, this this is then becomes the Bank of International Settlement. By the way, by the way, Brent, if you were to go online and look at the Bank of International Settlement, a picture of it, it um, it, it takes up a city block, and it's shaped like a military boot. There's a boot stepping on your face. <laughs> okay, it's a boot. You know what? Uh, basil. Basil. B-A-S-E-L, I believe. Uh, I wanted to say I well, got a... He says basil, and I say basil. Basil, whatever. <laughs> Babel. It might as well be Babel. Uh, Babel, Switzerland. It is. Um, <laughs> I got an email this morning, Daryl, from our mutual friend, Jimmy. Okay. And yesterday, just out of, I was looking for something, and I stumbled on it, and I read a quote from George Patton. Uh, And Jimmy wrote me an email this morning and informed me that his grandfather fought with Patton. And he's got a bunch of stories about it that his grandfather told him. So as Jimmy maybe makes his way over to Abilama here in the future, uh, you can pin him down over beers one night and get some of those. They sound real interesting. Uh, let me uh, welcome Harvey. Harvey joined us, our old buddy. And I meant to mention you a minute ago, Harvey, and I'm going to let you say it instead of me relate it. And Samuel, too. Uh, but yesterday in the Mattis discussion, because this came up, we played the clip and talked about it. Now, Harvey's a former Marine. And he came on and gave us a little color. Right, Harvey? Wait a minute, Roger. Roger. Roger yes, sir. There? Yes, sir. Let's be careful. I don't think. Now, you, we, we can check this out, but I don't think there's such a thing no as a former. No former <laughs> Marine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, it's a... It's it's a it's an incurable disease. Well, my daddy was a jet jockey, so you're going to have to excuse me. 
<laughs> well, that's all right. I like jet jockeys. Uh, they're the the uh, the rambunctious kind. You know, I like guys that fight. And here's the thing. You know, I uh, I went on red alert when I heard Brent's uh, defensive semi-defense of, uh, of General Mattis. Uh, Brent, I've never seen anything uh, about this guy having any combat experience, uh, you know, at, at the at the uh, at the company level, you know, lieutenant, first, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, uh, captain, uh-huh. or even as a battalion commander, never saw anything about any heroics in combat or, or that he was a foul mouth, big talking, swaggering, uh, egotist Democrat. Yeah. Egotist, but he was real good at promoting himself. Now you look at the other Marine generals in the past Uh and the ones that, the ones that I, uh, really admired, uh, Look at, you know, everybody, well, just go back and uh, look at Smedley Butler. You know, that was that was the B.O.Q. that I lived in for a while. Smedley Butler, B.O.Q., Butler, B.O.Q., uh, at Quantico. And uh, Smedley Butler was twice. twice. Chesty. Chesty. Chesty Puller. Yep. Uh, he, he comes up next. But Smedley <laughs> Butler was twice awarded the Medal of Honor, and um, and it was really for heroic stuff in the in the Banana Wars. And then he came. Uh, he, he sort of when he retired from the Marine Corps, he stepped back and looked at what had he had been participating in, and he wrote his book War. What War is a Racket, and that yes. is Roger. Yes. yes, it is. And, and, uh, and then during Roosevelt's administration, Smedley Butler was approached by very high powered people, uh, who wanted him to lead an armed rebellion against FDR, uh-huh. overthrow the government. Uh-huh. And he not only declined, but he went down and told Roosevelt what was going on. And Roosevelt did nothing about it. And there's a lot of speculation about why he did nothing about it. But yeah. uh, but anyhow, Smedley Butler was truly heroic. Uh, then, then comes uh, uh, General Lewis B. Puller, Chesty Puller. And... and you know, I, I met Marines that had served with him, and uh, some of them loved him, some of them hated him. One uh-huh. guy, one guy told me that Chesty Puller had a whole sea bag full of dog tags that he uh, men he got killed while he was trying to win a Medal of Honor. Uh, I don't know about that, but I do know this: when when the lead started flying. Chesty Puller stood up in combat. He led. 
he did at Guadalcanal. He did in Korea. He did elsewhere. Uh, Chesty Puller was a gutsy SOB. And uh, the ones that loved him, loved him beyond belief. He was Mr. Marine Corps. And uh, and then we had uh, also in World War II, we had uh, two men that uh, were absolutely pivotal in uh, this nation's ability to fight in that war. One was Howlin' Mad Smith. Howlin' Mad Smith was from Alabama. He was, his given name was Holland McIntyre Smith. He wrote a book called Carl and Brass, and uh, he was he was uh, he was one who stood up and fought for his men. And uh, he is also the one that invented the utility uniform. Oh. Uh, yeah, which is the Army calls fatigues. But yeah. the Marine Corps, Marine Corps invented those, and they, were, and they were and still are called utilities or utes. And yeah. uh, they were first used uh, for a landing exercise at, at Vieques. And the secretary of the Navy was looking on and he said the men looked like ruffians. He didn't like them. Ruffians. Well, what you see today, what people call a dress uniform today, it's actually called service. Well, in Marine Corps, we call it, uh, if it was a wool uniform, it was winter service. And, you know, if you had the wool jacket on, it was winter service alpha. So you were real well covered. That's what they wore in combat in World War II. I mean, World War One. They were wearing the wool uniforms. Good Lord. Uh, cot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, you go look at the old pictures. That's what they wore. That was a service uniform. And a dress uniform was something quite different. Uh, you know, that was in the Marine Corps. That was blues and the Army. Uh, I forget what theirs is, but. Um, but nevertheless, the, uh, uh, Howlin' Mad Smith is the man that gave us the, uh, the Higgins boat, the, the, uh, the little landing craft with the ramp on the front that dropped down and the landing ship track and, uh, a number of other innovations in, uh, marine war amphibious warfare and the brains behind it was a guy by the name of brute brute krulak stood about five five or five six and he picked up that name when he was uh, in annapolis they referred to him as the brute and he loved it and he was a big self-promoter but when he and he and Hal and Mad Smith were best of friends. Hal and Mad Smith, as a colonel, had taught Krulak at an and they actually socialized together. He would have, I mean, he would have this even when he was a junior officer. He would have him over for dinner, and that was unheard of that a bird colonel and then. Uh, soon a general would have a junior officer over for dinner. But, uh, but 
but uh, but he did, and so Krulak always. We're clipping on Harvey a little bit here, buddy. Are you away from the router today? Was uh, uh, outbreak in uh, in Shanghai where they were killing every. Oh no! The, yeah, where the where the when the Japanese were slaughtering everyone in Nanking, mm-hmm. uh, that they had landing craft with with drop front ramps and Krulak out of his own pocket rented a, a a tugboat put an American flag on it sailed out into the middle of this Japanese uh, amphibious landing and they all stopped and saluted that's the way the Navy is you know <laughs> all formality and uh you know they saluted him he saluted them and they went back about the business of slaughtering chinese civilians and he was out there sketching their landing craft and then he found some that were being repaired and were uh flipped upside down on the beach so that they could repair the underside and he sketched the underside of these he sent the, all these sketches back to Howlin' Mad Smith who presented them to the Department of the Navy who promptly put them in a file cabinet and did nothing with them <laughs> and he, I mean look it's just you know what do you expect well, out of bureaucrats yeah Harvey. so 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 yes. the point you, so the point you're trying to make the point you're trying to make here this is a fascinating story but I believe there's a point you're trying to make and, yep. and so we had let me real see if generals. I got it right. Yep. Yeah, okay. We had real generals who did real things, who were in combat, who made monumental differences. Tell me anything that that uh, that uh, mad dog, mad so called mad dog Mattis uh, has done. Not mad dog Mattis voted for Obama. He's read about seven thousand books. Well, hold on, Brent's trying to tell us what he's he done looked, now. He's gonna. He's he, gonna. He's, he's read about seven thousand books. It says. Yeah. So mm-hmm. he, they, yeah, they call him the most polished intellectual. Uh, that's what they pump up. About. Yeah, I don't see that he's done a lot either. By the time his combat experience was, by the time he made brigadier general, well, you, I think by the, well, yeah, I know this. Major, Major's the last field office in the Marine Corps, isn't it? It's, uh, have I got that right? In other words, once you get no. above Major, you're out of the, you're off the field, aren't you? Oh, I see what you mean. Well, they call, you've got company grade officers, which are for second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain. Yeah. Then you've got field grade officers, which is Major, Lieutenant Colonel, and Bird Colonel. Oh, and I then you've got Then you've got general officers. But uh, I actually did see at one time uh, a bird colonel in the field with us in Vietnam. Uh, <laughs> I think he was, he'd come out to relieve my battalion commander, which was well overdue. <laughs> I was going to say, was he lost? No, he wasn't, but we were. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, with a guy like that leading us, we were lost. And so he was relieved, not that day, but after a while, he, he was relieved of command. And uh, so anyhow, I don't see, you know, I don't care how many books uh, Mattis has read. I don't care how, uh, how erudite he is. Is he a real Marine? No, I don't think so. You know, well, he hadn't, he hadn't got the heart. I'm not finding anything about his combat experience either. I just had never that here's, here's the power of promotion. The perception perception becomes reality yes. in the, in the media. And he apparently has done a good job or those that wanted to help him are promoting him as a, Mad Dog Mattis, when the truth is, he's not a combat Marine. That's what you were saying, and I'm looking. Wikipedia tries to paint him that way a little bit. I'm just looking here. If he was, let me tell you, if he was a real Mad Dog General, Obama would have gotten him out of there when he was in there for eight years. Because he cleaned house of most of the good people, from what I can tell. Yeah. I think, I think truthfully, I've got more combat experience than he does. Uh-huh. And I was and I was only I was only in the combat zone for a little over a year. Um but um no it's uh I I don't buy this. I never have I've heard all these lovely stories about him and it, sure he does have some good points. But He's a Democrat. You know, he got tattoos all over him, and he's, uh, uh, which is strictly a pagan operation. And he was in favor of gays in the military. And he's, you know, if, if that little recording that, uh, that Roger dug up yesterday is correct, that he had someone uh, introduce him to the Trump campaign. Uh-huh. And he was the one seeking an affiliation with Trump. Well, Trump hasn't changed. What he said in the campaign is exactly what he's trying to do now. Uh-huh. Shut down the borders. Uh, shut down China. And, and so on. So... Mattis knew who Trump was to begin with, uh-huh. and and then he got dissatisfied because he intended to manipulate Trump. That was his job. Yeah, his function. Uh-huh. His function. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, yeah, it, I, I, I'm about as. Yeah. yeah. What we talked mentioned yesterday that hit me, Brent, was it shows you if that's true, and it seems to be that. How, from the very start, from the transition group, there was traitors that were putting people and seeding them in four years ago when Trump was trying to set up. They ain't eased up on him one bit through the whole four years. And look well, at the extremes we've gotten well, to now. Well, All of their stuff is getting exposed, and the snake is eating its tail. Yeah. I, I mean, it's... These people, the Dems, well, these these wackos are in are in real big exposure trouble. Let, let me put this in context, Roger. 
there is a contest. There, currently, at this very moment, there is a contest going on as defining as defining who is the traitor. Okay, mm-hmm. this is a power struggle between who is the traitor. Now, uh, there is a large number of uh, uh, people that would say that Donald Trump is the traitor. And then there's this other group that has a perception that these others are the traitor. And and here is really, it's very important. They are trying, as as Brent said earlier, perception is reality. And the media has been established to manage that perception in order to modify behavior. Yep. And and so uh, this is this is extremely important. There is a contest of perception here, and uh, this is this is where the character of uh, every individual comes out is revealed is is in this character of perception. And uh, so I I have to if if I didn't have the capacity to bring to reality. In the present, I study history so I can understand the present and people's behavior in the present. And we, uh, uh, this is the only thing that keeps me uh, rational. <laughs> that and I get, I, I pray to the pray to the Father every day. But uh, this is this is the game. This is the game. I was saying in in analyzing okay. where we are, Brent, and I don't forget what you were going to say. Uh, I was thinking the other day, if you go back to the seminal event, I guess, to start as a baseline would be the JFK assassination. You know, the word conspiracy yep. theory was invented by the CIA, coined back then to cover the questions about that event. And so then you go forward and all the things that happened. Next major real thing, let's say 9-11. And now you got groups like uh, the finest architects and engineers in the world all getting together and saying this couldn't happen, the pilots. Uh, all these different groups, people asking questions for 20 years, and now we're coming to this. And there's a whole bunch of people that have been exposed to this stuff peripherally or directly that are starting to really become aware. Roger? Well, you've got, you've I, got I, one I, of them. I know, you've Samuel. I, wanna get, right I, hadn't had ch- I hadn't had a chance to get to Samuel <laughs> yet. I know you're there, buddy. So just hold that on the back burner. Let's check with Samuel. You might want to think noodle on it, Brent. Uh, yeah, Samuel, welcome, buddy. Hi. I had a couple of points. Harvey covered the first one. Now, these are both uh, our, our, our sitting Secretary of Defense and this a-hole. Um, you know, the least you can say about him is they're dividing the country and they're not following their chain of command. What Absolutely. good is it for this guy to come out and go against the president other than to create more division? Yep. yep. You know, Very good point. Very useless. good point. Yeah. Well, he, he, he never, senses he wants to curry favor with the powers that be. That's uh, his. Yeah. I was, I was, I was listening to a guy by the name of Scott Adams this morning. And he, he says, well, he says, uh, bricks being delivered to the curbs and all this stuff. This is just going on the uh, expense sheet, uh, sheets of the uh, Democratic Party for campaign uh, um, expenses. Might as well be. <laughs> I thought that was a good one. Might as well be. <laughs> you know? I mean, Soros Bill's. and them are synonymous. Yep. They might as well be joined at the hip. 
Bill Still I, uh, has a very good comment today. I'd recommend you take a look at that. It's about Esper. Okay. Yeah, that was interesting about Esper yesterday. I was watching a little bit on it. Punk. You know, I, and I wanted to tell uh, uh, Brett that uh, Brent that the uh, the guy here who's trying to split the state of California, pretty much rural versus city, about twenty million apiece. Um, uh, he's on top of it all every day. Watches what's going on, and he definitely said that these guys who were kneeling down in the street were props. They weren't real uh, militia. Um, yeah. Oh, and their their badges match on match on their uniforms and and that kind of stuff. Yeah, no, I see that too. Now the proof in my mind, come to think of it, as we, I contemplated this as as uh, we were talking, the proof as to what the Marine Corps really thinks about who their who their favored son is, and who they really admire is what they sing and who they sing about when they run in formation and they, they, it's, they don't sing about Mattis. I've heard them. They sing about Chesty Puller. (laughs) Chesty Puller was a good Marine. A good Marine was he He called for his pipe. He called for his bowl. He called for his fiddlers three. We do all the work said the privates. That's a bunch of bulls says the, says the Sergeant. Merry old men are we. The army's there, but it can't compare with recon UDT. But they talk about, they sing about, um, they sing about Chesty Puller. Yeah. Well, just a, a point. I think that does make a difference. If you want to know what's going on in the, in military life, I've had West Pointers tell me this from Vietnam. If you really, really want to know what's going on, you don't ask anybody but the guys that have the boots on the ground and you go out and you stay with them. And I bet this would be the way to find out if we could find, and we have, I think, some, and you can read about it, men with boots on the ground, to tell us what's going on. And uh, the perception is powerful. And in politics, the political world, perception is reality. And the whole effort of politics is to create the perception that you want to create. How do I know? Because I've tried to do it. I wanted people to think certain things about me when I was running for office. And that nobody else is going to do it for you. And if you are a little bit nefarious, you're going to create the perception you want to create. Uh, you're going to try to. And this whole thing about these National Guardsmen kneeling in the middle of the street, their uniform patches don't match. Even on the same man, the patches don't match. Or then that they're trying to create perception. They're trying to create the perception of a murder. Now, this Floyd fellow apparently was a porn star. I want to throw that in a while ago. And so was the fellow accused of murdering him, a porn star. And they worked together in porn films. That's what I read. I only know what I read on the news on the Internet. Well, if that's true, then maybe he knew something they didn't want him to know, so they went ahead and had one feller murder the other one, and an ambulance arrives. This is what I've been told on, on the media, is on the media, and take him away. But what I'm not understanding at this point is, as they said yesterday on the newscast with Trump and that crowd, that the state of Minnesota is prosecuting some of those officers. Is they've that up, true? They've upped the charges, actually. To Chauvin's got second-degree murder, and they brought in a couple of the other guys that were around there. But I got questions. 
and I have not seen the video of where they took Floyd away. I think Samuel has because he commented on it. But, you know, when you got somebody, you look at the Chauvin with his knee on his throat, Brent. Have you seen the pictures? I haven't really studied it, but I've seen the still. And he's sitting there with his hand in his left pocket. Yeah, and then the other picture's got it on the back of his neck, I hear, which, of course, isn't where your carotid artery is. Well, then they come to get him in the ambulance, and if you got somebody like that, I've been in accidents before. They wouldn't even let me move till the paramedics and the ambulance got there to get up off the street to see if I was all right till they came over and count to 10 and all that stuff. Okay. And they just grabbed old Floyd like a sack full of potatoes, evidently, and threw him up on the gurney and whisked him away back to the FBI's uh, 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 secret witness program. Yeah. Those FBI guys, they don't know what's going on either. Sometimes they're in the loop. Then most of the time they probably aren't. They only know what they need to know to keep their paycheck coming. Let's get cynical for a minute. Seriously cynical. Because if it ever comes to a point in America that a critical mass of people don't care anymore, then they lose their power. I had a fellow tell me that that was a lifelong student of legal history. And he said it finally got to the point in the Roman Empire. This guy's gone now. He was a preeminent kind of a scholar of the subject. He said it finally got to the point in the Roman Empire that the emperor would be walking to work to go do his work at the uh, ladder and palace and people see him on the street of Rome and say, what are you even going to work for? Why don't you just go home? Cause we don't care anymore. And when, once people didn't care anymore, then the empire really seriously visibly began to crumble. And that's, what's going to happen here. This syndicate of crime will crumble when we don't care anymore. And I'm there. I don't care what happened to these bozos. I intend to keep the that's, country going no matter what that's, they can do what that, they do. I'm not going to reform them. They're goners. No, you can't They're reform them. That's created that, for destruction. What's that? Go ahead. That's why I think voting for a de facto government is sort of ludicrous. Uh, well, flesh that out for me a little bit more. Talk about it. Well, I don't vote. And I, I, I once I realize this government, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't follow the the uh, contract the constitution and uh, it's not looking out for me why should i give it my okay i'm 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 you going along with this consent fraud. consent uh, you know consent and jim trafficant the late jim jim trafficant stood up in congress and made the statement it's in the congressional record i've seen videos of it cody didn't believe me brent and he went and dug it up here recently and he's standing up there and he says you are trustees in the biggest bankruptcy of the history of the world involved in that is the security and that is citizens of the united states and residents and that congress sits to oversee them and that to pay off the bankers bogus debt in the future hypothecated bogus debt yep about the only guy worth voting for is a sheriff. That's why I keep hammering on the importance of filing this affidavit and letting them know you ain't part of it anymore. Otherwise, you're you're just shadow boxing. There's nothing you can do against them that's going to turn them or anything else. The only thing you can do is come out of them, and this is a way, evidently, that does that that they recognize. 
Yes, Roger, I feel compelled to go back to the beginning and make mention and connect something that I've connected in my head since we've been talking. Uh, uh, Daryl brought up a while ago about the, the bankers funding, the banksters funding the pilgrims. And uh, it put me to mind of William Blackstone. Is it? And I'm going to tell the story real quick, and then I'm going to ask a question. The bankers funded the pilgrims. Yeah, I, I get it. They funded other people that came to America, too. And uh, William Blackstone, uh, he fulfilled, without knowing it, maybe, maybe he did. He fulfilled John Wycliffe's ambition. John Wycliffe, in the 14th century in England, translated the Bible into English for the first time. He didn't have the original uh, manuscript, the manuscripts in the original tongue, so he translated from the Latin Vulgate. The Wycliffe Bible translation was the first translation into English of the entire mm -hmm. Bible. And he also had a plan to uh, have the to see the common law, the teaching of the common law, supplant. That means replace entirely the law of the city, the civil law, what he called the canon and civil laws of the Church of Rome. He called it evil men's laws, and he wanted to see that supplanted there. He said, "England will never change, and we will never get our country back from the tyranny of Rome and of the." Useful idiots of evil empire. That's my words, not his. He, he said it much stronger than that. He had some ugly words for these people. He said, we'll never get it back unless we do two things. First, we must get the Bible into English so that the boy, well, he, he didn't say it exactly the way Tyndale said it, but Tyndale said so that the boy behind the plow may read. Well, what his point was so that everybody can understand what God has revealed of his will. If we don't have that, and men, men don't read the Bible for themselves, just folk out here, we're not going to make it. That's the first prong. But he said the second prong we must achieve is, to, is the teaching of the common law at Oxford. And the, all that was taught was the law of the city, not the law of the land, our common law. Well, that's what he wanted, to get the Bible translated into English. Of course, then after that, uh, people in England, at the behest of the Roman Church, began to roast men alive like pigs on a spit from an old statute that had been passed a hundred and some years before. They'd never used it. And so that stopped that until the Reformation. But by the time the Reformation came along, they finally got the Bible into English in, in spades. But it was halting. Men were burned at the stake, but they just kept moving forward. Men were burned at the stake for doing it, for promoting it, etc. But then finally, in the year 1765, William Blackstone delivered his lectures on the common law at Oxford. That was the first time the common law had been taught at Rome's university. All universities in the world are the product of Rome, beginning in Bologna, Italy, in the year 1056, with the university that was first invented and established there at the order of the Pope. The purpose of the university was to take the Code of Justinian, the canon law of the Church of Rome, and to supplant the Bible with it as the center of all education, which they called scholasticism. Well, all that happened. But finally, William Blackstone, who was a proponent of the common law, saw his opportunity. Now, get this. I'm getting to the point. He, could, he was funded by a wealthy Jewish merchant to deliver those lectures. Is that right? And that, well, yeah, that, well, his name was Werner. You can read it right in the first volume of Blackstone. It says to Mr. Werner, blah, 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 who funded these lectures. He was the man that established the chair and all. Well, what Werner wanted was lectures on the law of the city. 
That's what he commissioned and funded Blackstone to do. Because William Blackstone was educated in both. He was a graduate of Oxford, and he was also a graduate of the Inns of Court of England. He was a common lawyer of the highest degree. He knew both systems well, and he made his conscious choice in the common law. And so what he did was, just like, the, you know, the as the, the, the Werner meant it for evil, the law of the city, but Blackstone meant it for good. That phrase is in the Bible. These fellows meant it for evil, but God used it for good. Romans 8, 28, he... He uh, makes all things for good. He puts them together for good, brings them together for good, even evil things for those to whom he has called according to his purpose. Well, Blackstone delivered the lectures. He used it as an opportunity to compare and contrast, you see, the law of the city with the law of the land. And throughout, and that's the only way you can understand our common laws, and that's a clear way to define things and make them understandable, is to compare and contrast them with the great, with whatever is uh, but whatever is contrary and antagonist to them. So throughout the his lectures, put into four volumes later, called the Commentaries on the Laws of England, he compares and contrasts the law of the land with the law of the city and makes his choice obvious for the law of the land. He says such things and he criticizes the law of the city. But is it that way always? Must we always have this admixture of ugliness, of intent, of... Uh, the, 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 the nation, the, the Jewish religion of Babylonianism meant it for evil that they murdered Jesus Christ. They meant it for evil. But God used it for the greatest good that mankind has ever known or ever will know, the redemption of his people through the sacrifice of his own son. So only God, I should say this more often, only God, only the maker of heaven and earth and all that then the is can make a straight lick with a crooked stick, and he does it consistently and constantly with the ev- with evil men, evil men, e- men like us who are sinners. He takes us and he makes the straight lick with a crooked stick, sometimes knowingly, sometimes unknowingly, uh, sometimes he, with evil men that he has doomed to hell, that he has made for destruction even. And I see that comparison between the, what the pilgrims did and with what William Blackstone did. And now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I can, think of a lot more back to you roger i just say that regularly on here that we all pray for mr trump and that god touches him and uses him because we he's going into a critical period for our good for our good for the good of his people i agree and i i have the same prayer and i don't know what's on the inside of the heart of any other man hardly no moan heart as david said i pray search me O god know my heart try me know my thoughts See if there be some wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I don't even know myself like my own God knows me. So I depend upon him as much as I can. I hope it's entirely, and I trust him entirely, and I reserve all my trust power for him, my entrustment, and uh, pray that God will use. As Listen, here's another one, Henry VIII. There wasn't a dirtier scoundrel on the faces of God's green earth than Henry VIII. But he, he was, <laughs> oh, he was nasty. He, anything to make himself look good and create the perception he wanted to create. He murdered the man that did translate the Bible into English from the original tongues, darn near the whole thing that killed him first, tied him to a stake, strangled him, and burned him to death. William Tyndale in the Netherlands at Antwerp. And by the behest of Henry VIII, whose agents finally found him, a man named Phillips tricked him and got his hands on him. He'd been running for years, hiding, translating the Bible. But Henry VIII then burned him 
Then Henry VIII took the Bible that he translated into English, the Tyndale version, which has been the basis of nearly all translations since. And then Henry VIII handed the Bible out and took credit for it all after murdering the man wow. that did it. What about Westcott but, and Hort? Westcott and Hort were two guys that were involved in that, and the Catholics hated them so much that they even dug up their graves and burned their bones. Well, now, you might be thinking of uh, Wycliffe. They dug up Wycliffe. Oh, was it Wycliffe? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) They couldn't get to him before he died. He beat him to the punch, said he was called by a greater master than them to be summoned by some Pisciani bishop over in Rome. So... And that <laughs> he had a stroke well, right after he delivered the Lord's Supper, and, and he's buried a, a letter at a little church, a little outside a little church in England near a, a brook where they spread his his ashes in this little brook. Uh, I don't remember the Swift, the Crick, the little Crick Swift that flowed down to the Avon and out to the sea. But uh, no, well, Westcott and Hort were the ones that then also brought in more manuscripts of the Greek New Testament and collated them and, and tried to put together a, a better version, a better a better set of manuscripts, because the ones that translated the King James, uh, the manuscripts they had of the Newer Testament and the original tongues, there were only about six, about a half a dozen manuscripts. Uh, Westcott and Hort, by the time they came along, there were a few hundred, and now we have nearly 6,000 that we have discovered. We have a, an overwhelming, an overwhelming plethora, embarrassingly overwhelming plethora of evidence of what the New Testament says in the original tongues. The only set of manuscripts that, well, the ones that come in second of the ancient Greek world are the Iliad of Homer, of which there are only 600. 600 compared to almost 6,000, and of those 600, they woefully disagree. And all other manuscripts of the ancient world, if you have a dozen of them, You've got a lot. There aren't many. It is amazing to me that people go to Roman history that may only have a half a dozen manuscripts, and they'll quote it and talk about how reliable it is, and this is true history, but then they come to the Bible where there are 6,000, 1,000 times more in the original tongues, and they all substantially agree, by the way. There's not that much variation, hardly any at all, compared to all other manuscripts of ancient writings, and yet question the Bible. That's the way the evil empire works. It doesn't make any difference how obvious the truth is if you're not persuadable by the evidence and god hasn't opened your eyes well you're not going to be persuadable that's the end of that don't waste your time with such people back to you roger it's like going out and trying to convert one of these antifa warriors good luck yeah 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 we um, uh, we need to see the truth but it's not up to, uh, up to us to open people's eyes we can't well the some of the yeah. the green sprouts if you will were right here at the end were what happened in Coeur d'Alene this week and a couple other places where the locals stood up with their own arms and said you ain't doing that here yeah 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 well they they wouldn't be they wouldn't be doing it here either where no, i live no. but I, I just want to leave a little cornbread I want to leave a little cornbread for the weekend for everybody. Uh, it's a little word game. It's a rhyming word game. What rhymes with creditor? Predator. <laughs> predator <laughs> rhymes with creditor. You probably and, come up with a country and, song. And, and I could. I could, actually, probably. And, and uh, what rhymes with Democrat? Bureaucrat. Autocrat. Dictocrat. Plutocrat. And uh, technocrat. So uh, these word terms are important. 
and uh, you can have fun with them. And I've had a lot of fun today. Thank you, Brent. Yeah, it's Roger. been a good show. Thank Everybody. you, Brent. Why don't you real quick you can just tell folks how they can get more Brent Winters. There's our whistler. Go to commonlawyer.com, www.commonlawyer.com, and go to the events button. You'll see all the things we're doing on the radio in shortwave, et cetera. And then you can all YouTube. You can also go to the books button, and you can see all the books we have there, including the translation of the Bible from the original tongues. Um, I call it a raw translation, raw, raw as I can make it. I don't want to cook the book, deliver it up just the way I got my hands on it in the original tongues. And also there is a comparative law text, excellence of the common law, comparing and contrasting the law of the land with the law of the city. Back to you, Roger. Thank That's you. why he's here. That's why we started doing these shows, because it's the only person outside of John that I could find that knew anything about the common law. It's worked out pretty well, Brent. Uh, I was thinking when we started these things about five years ago, what the world was like compared to this one today. I was thinking about that before the show. Yikes. Yeah. We'll see you all Monday and see how much water goes under the bridge here in 48 hours. Uh, if it's any kin to what goes on day to day, there'll be a bunch go under the bridge. We'll talk about it on Monday. Have a great weekend. Thanks for being with us. And I hope you got something to ruminate on over that 48 hours. See you Monday. Daryl, Brent, Brent, and uh, Roger, please call Chris and have this weekend. Uh, 10, 10, 10, 4. Roger, Roger. Over and out.